Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome back to the Train Happy Podcast. My name is Tally Rye and this week we are talking all things plus size fitness and inclusivity in fitness with the brilliant Louise Green who is a fitness coach and author of the book Big Fit Girl as well as creator of the Big Fit Girl app. Now Louise is a bit of a hero of mine, I won't lie. I read her book Big Fit Girl a couple of years ago now and it massively influenced the direction in which I wanted to work as a fitness professional and it was the first book I read encouraged fitness for all and wasn't telling people they needed to be a certain size before they could be an athlete and it was just so exciting to read. I highly recommend to read it if you're interested and we're going to get into all this and more. Remember if you do enjoy this episode please tag us at train happy podcast and use the hashtag train happy podcast. So without further ado let's just get into the episode. So today I am joined by a plus-size personal trainer, author of the book Big Fit Girl, which we'll discuss was a huge game-changer for me, um, and the kind of owner of the Big Fit Girl brand and app. She is trying to change the fitness game and fight for more representation within the industry. Welcome, Louise Green! Thank you! So great to actually talk to you I know I know we've kind of connected a bit like through social media and things but it's so nice to actually get to talk to you because as I said I'm such a huge fan of your work and your book has been a huge um what like I said was a huge catalyst in me changing direction as a personal trainer and finding a personal trainer who I whose ethos I related to was so exciting um so thank you for that Absolutely. Um, how are you doing in general? We should just get the kind of lockdown chat out the way because as we're recording, um, we are all in the midst of this pandemic. So um, how are you doing? I'm doing pretty good. Um, you know, it, things were really a little bit disappointing because I had some really promising projects on the go that required travel. So everything was cancelled. Um uh, but I think, you know, those will resurrect at some point. But I was just feeling like in the beginning of the year, like this year is looking really promising. And then, um, so, you know, the, just another testament to we can't control things outside of ourselves. So you just have to roll with it. Um, but as we were talking before we started, you know, my job is a lot of working from home and doing content from home. So my job, so to speak, really hasn't changed. Um, as far as that, um, I feel like I'm in isolation quite often as a lone entrepreneur. So that's fairly normal. Um, but like I said, we're starting to lift some of the really strict restrictions here in Canada. And that feels really exciting and promising. So I'm feeling really optimistic. Have you been allowed to go out for like daily exercise and things like that? Or has it been strictly stay at home? Um, we they it's kind of been a bit of a blurred line they say yeah, go out to do your exercise but you know you're not supposed to socialize or so you know there can't be any gatherings or and so what's happening here is that lots of people are going outside and then it's creating this okay well i think people are misunderstanding what it actually means because we're i'm seeing large groups and um you know a lot of a lot of people out and about. So I've mostly stayed home and done my workouts. Me too, actually. I've just kind of felt like I don't, you know, I have, I'm fortunate to have a bit of equipment at home, a few things and being trainers, you kind of know what to, you need, your body needs. So yeah. you can kind of like figure out for yourself. Um, yeah. So I, I have, I've done the same actually. Um, so I wanted to start at the beginning, so to speak, because I know that um, 
you came to be a personal trainer a bit um, further on, like you had a previous career and Mm -hmm. um, you didn't just start personal training. So I would love for you to tell people your story and how you discovered a love for fitness. Um, Well, it, uh, my relationship with fitness, like many people was very punitive for many years and it solely was a tool to manipulate my body. I did not understand why anyone would get sweaty otherwise like why would you um so it was always about if I sweat more I can eat more if I you know then I can create more deficit and all of that stuff so that's really what the primary focus was and in one of those attempts to you know go on my weight loss journey um yet again I thought I would become a runner because I would look at my running magazines and they would be skinny women, um, almost like sinewy. And I'd be like, yes, if I run, I'm going to be skinny. So that's my ticket. And I joined this run clinic here in Vancouver. And on the first night, petrified, absolutely terrified that I was this imposter. Everybody else was a real runner. I was like this person that everyone thought had lost, you know, was at the wrong place. Um, We went into the clinic and this woman stood up before us and introduced herself as our run leader. And I was so surprised to see that she had a plus size body. And this was in probably 2005. So there was no Instagram, there Facebook barely existed. Um, I media magazines was really all there was at that time where I could see inspiration for fitness. Isn't that weird to think about? Like there was no social media. Um, And they never, ever showed any size diversity in fitness magazines. So it was strictly extremely thin women. Um, And so literally this was the first woman that I had seen proclaiming to be a fitness leader and an athlete in a plus size body. And I was so taken back by her and I trained with her for 12 weeks and she profoundly changed my life because she was the first person that never even mentioned body size. It wasn't like when we came back and did our run, guess how many calories you just burned or, you know, if you, you know, you know, run further, you, you can get leaner. There was never any talk about bikini season coming or, you know, no motivation by like changing your body size. It was all about digging deep as an athlete. And she didn't even acknowledge my body size. It just wasn't even part of the factor. It was just, you're an athlete, let's do this. And I had never experienced that, that, that in fitness. I had never seen it. I'd never experienced it. And I just kind of like this light went on, like, can I actually do this? And it not a be a be about trying to lose weight. Like this woman is plus size and she's not trying to lose weight. Actually, not only was she the first woman that I'd seen in fitness leadership and as an athlete, she was the first larger woman I had seen or met that wasn't trying to lose weight. Like it wasn't part of her syntax. She just wasn't, just wasn't part of her. And I still think that's really rare. I still think you know, that it feels, that is still feels different and unusual to find. Like, I still think that's not, it's particularly in the context of fitness. It's very unusual to find a woman that is like very comfortable and happy with her body. Mm. Even, and that's not even a size thing. Mm. That is every, that's a feminist issue. Um, And that's very sad to me. Like that is, that is one of the world's biggest um, tragedies, as far as I'm concerned. Um, so when I, when I trained with this woman, it, like I said, it profoundly changed everything. I was like, this is, this, I can actually just be an athlete. I can actually run the distance. I can do the things. Um, and I can, and I didn't lose weight. Um, my body is one of those bodies that I fought for years. I would do the, you know, the the commercial weight loss programs and I would be like white knuckling it all week, hungry. 
And I would get on the scale and they'd be like, yay, you've lost 0.1 of a pound or something like that. And I'd be like, I can't, I can't do this for 0.1 of a pound. I can't. And I just have a certain body type that's heavy and it's thick. And um, I always thought that I had control over that, that I could, that I could somehow become this sinewy person on the front of a running magazine. When in fact, my genetics will never allow that. It never will. Um, so I, I, I trained with her. I went on to train with um, other coaches. I, I did the 5Ks. I did the 10Ks. Because I had the switch in this was no longer about um, punitive measures or manipulation. It was like about achievement and physical power. I went to do half marathons. I went on to do triathlons. I went to do Olympic triathlons. I went into doing long distance cycling events where we were on our bikes for 250 kilometers. Um, I, I left my job as a, as a talent agent and I'll just speak to that briefly. Um, my job as a talent agent, um, I worked at one of Canada's largest uh, talent agencies in the country where we had the top talent in Canada and I was in charge of the commercial roster. So I was dealing with the most idealistic, beautiful people that walk the Canadian country. And uh, <laughs> still they weren't good enough. The producers were still giving them feedback, like you have to whiten your teeth or you have to, you know, lose some weight or, you know, you're too old to be a mom. They were casting moms at that time as 20 year olds. So like I became a mom when I was 37, like 20 year olds are, yeah, sometimes moms, but that's what they want to portray as a mom, a very young, fit, yummy mummy. Mm. And when we push that imagery out into the world, that's where our, that's on our sight line. And then we have this comparative. So I was doing very soul sucking work while on the weekends and in the evenings running beside this new coach feeling so powerful and then going back into my job on Monday morning, just, and eventually it didn't reconcile. Yeah. Was it a case of feeling empowered and then going to work and just feeling like, Oh, I stepped outside that bubble a little bit. And like, this is the reality. And it's, yeah, it's tough. I think even in, I mean, just on social media, in a sense, I feel like I've created a really nice bubble on social media of, people like yourself who share a similar message and approach and then you kind of step outside that bubble and you're like, oh, I mean, in the last 24 hours, we've had one of the biggest, new, the number one trending topic on Twitter was Adele um, posting a picture of herself for her birthday and losing weight. And that became the main topic of conversation. And it's so interesting that like within my, within, you know, whether it's like your run club or with the people you spend time with, like you, you're like, oh, actually the rest of the world still holds on to this narrative, still is in that kind of place. <clears throat> yes, and I'm from the UK as well. I was born in Liverpool and um, I was in, in London in 2017 doing part of my book tour. And I have to say that I found the UK to be very... Um, focused on those type of topics about mm -hmm. bodies and and um i think it's because like our our newspaper industry here is really dead there isn't really people don't buy them anymore whereas i found in the uk like they're still very much there you go into any subway and they're like they're almost like it's tabloids yeah they are they're tabloids and they're sensationalist and they're just looking yeah. for a headline and yeah they we love talking about weight in the British press and discussing people's bodies and any fluctuation. And yeah, it's, it's, I'm not surprised. I'm not surprised you got that reaction. I think, um, I think even as a country in general, we're just still very interested in, like I said, our body, our weight, our, what we're eating, what we're doing with this, with this focus, like you said, of manipulation. And I think that is really common. Um, but hopefully, <laughs> like, you know, hopefully things like this podcast can help and your book can help kind of start this new narrative. What was it like to leave your job and kind of, did you feel like you were taking a gamble going to be a personal trainer? Did you feel like that was a gamble or did you 
I don't know, was, was it just pure passion and excitement? I was so done with my job that I was ready to even do a face plant into failure, if that's what it meant. Yeah. I was just ready. And so what had happened is one of my coaches asked me to um, co-run, like co-run these 10K running clinics with her. So I actually had been a volunteer run leader for several years before I left my job. So I had really, you know, like running in the pouring rain with people saying, I can't do it. And me just like one day saying, this is my calling. I'm, this is it. I have to... I have to champion and give back to others what was given to me through that one woman, Chris was her name. Um, because like I said, uh, that the, the women believing that they are less than the amazing human beings that they are is, is the world's biggest tragedy to me. And the, the negative, the negative narrative that so many people have going on in their heads is stopping them from living to their highest potential. Yes. So this yeah. is not just about fitness for me. This is about overall um, acceleration of women and taking back their power because as long as we are being controlled in that way, we are not going to rule the country. We are not going to have these leadership positions because we are too preoccupied because we only have a certain amount of mental real estate. Oh, I am so with you on this one. I, yeah, this is exactly where my headspace is. And I, even in my book, I, I wrote in my book, you know, if you'd asked me to have written that book five years ago when I was deep in diet culture and I was just super, super concerned with what I was eating and what my workouts were going to, my next workout was and all this stuff. I had no headspace. I never thought, I never thought I would write anything. I didn't think I was capable of it. I didn't believe in myself. And yeah, the fact that I did that, um, it kind of, I'm shocked myself, but I think it's because I've been able to, and I kind of, I like to say like, when you're kind of stepping away from dieting and diet culture itself, you kind of get to like delete a few files in your brain and it's like your compute, your brain computer has more storage and you can start mm -hmm. to like take on board new information and get interested in things. I mean, part of me, and I don't know if you found this as well, but part of me finding um, myself through fitness has been kind of finding my, finding my um, feminism, finding my, path to feminism because I I don't know I that was how I kind of like like you said like I'm so passionate about people and um, particularly women like fulfilling their potentials because then we're going to have these world leaders who are doing incredible things you know because we're not feeling like oh w you know when I weigh x amount or when I look a certain way I will then go for that job I will then be able to speak up in a meeting or you know and I think it's so I, I, there's such a connection between you know, feeling empowered through the run club and taking that into like other areas of your life. And I think that's, mm -hmm. I think that's really exciting that, um, yeah, we're both on the same page there because I think more women need to hear this. I, I hope people are excited already by hearing you speak because I'm inspired. Um, I wanted to ask you about um, when you were running your 5Ks and 10Ks, because I think in your book, you wrote about um, people's reactions to when you said you were running a half marathon or people assumed because of your, the size of your body that you were just running the 5k or doing a charity race kind of thing. They didn't take you seriously. Am I putting words in your mouth there? Or? No, no, that is, that's happened all the time. Like it's a daily occurrence. Um, yeah. I remember specifically going to my half marathon, my first half marathon, I, I flew to San Francisco and I went up to the table to get my race package. And they didn't even ask me which race I was doing. They just immediately went to the 5K box to get my race information. And so, um, yeah, so there, there, there is a, an assumption just based on how I look. And, I, and I've had that through a lot, of, a lot of different scenarios. So I don't really blame people though. Like it's like, because they're seeing what I'm seeing on a daily basis, right? They're not seeing size diversity laced through our fitness culture. They're not seeing women of size celebrating who they are and loving who they are and excelling in, as an athlete as they are. They're seeing women that want to reduce their body size and the diet culture message. So I, 
I, as irritating as it is sometimes, <laughs> um, I don't begrudge people because why would they think any differently? Yeah, blame the system, not the individual, I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And how have you found it becoming a personal trainer? I speak to a lot of um, people who want to be personal trainers, want to work in the fitness industry, and... I think a lot of what holds people back is they think I don't look like a stereotypical fitness trainer. And even, and I think there's even an element of people who, um, whether they be plus size or whether they're, um, just not that kind of cover of your fitness magazine, six pack abs look, even, you know, a lot along the spectrum, I think people feel like I have to look like this exact person. I have to look like, um, I have to have visible abs. I have to have these defined arms. Um, you know, because people aren't seeing size diversity, they're not seeing, you know, rain, you know, different people doing different activities. And I think, um, yeah, how, what was the reaction of you kind of going to the fitness industry? And did you feel like as a trainer, you were taken seriously? Um, well, one of the things is that as soon as I was certified, I started my own business. So <clears throat> I didn't have to go into gyms and apply for jobs. I think that that would be really difficult mm -hmm. as somebody that looks like me. Um, I don't, I think it would have to be a very specific gym setting where, you know, that, that gym kind of was straddling or, you know, we have a chain here in North America called uh, planet fitness and it their their tagline is um i don't know something along the lines of everyone's included or something like that so they're trying really hard to have a diversity message and that's that's a new thing in fitness culture so like mm. back in 2007 if i were to walk into a gym at the size that i was i just had a baby so i was the biggest size i've ever been um I think it would have been really difficult. And that is one of the reasons why I started my own business. Um, so I didn't really, even though I was a fitness professional and I was working within the fitness industry, I was very on my own. Mm. And I think it's taken many, many years of the industry seeing what I've accomplished to gain the respect. And you've done more than most, like what you're doing is incredible and I think um, I mean to name a few things you're running um, you've got your own kind of fitness classes but you also do like retreats and surf camps and all these things and you you've done a TED talk and you've written a book and these are incredible accomplishments by anyone's standards um, let alone someone who who doesn't traditionally feel seen or represented within the fitness industry um, how do your clients respond to that what What's the feedback you get from people who come to your classes or go to a retreat? Is it just a, I don't know, is it a sense of relief or just finding people that just relate to them? Yeah, I think it's very much that. We ran a retreat in Tulum, Mexico in November, and I think there was 20 women there. Wow. Um, and they, I'm still on the WhatsApp chat, WhatsApp chat with them, and they talk every day. It, there is a connection, there's a lifetime connection been built there. And I'm really strong believer that people that sweat together stay together, um, especially if it's done in a really inclusive environment. But I think people just, they feel a sense of belonging that they've never felt in any fitness environment before. And that's a pretty big deal. It, it, it's so huge. I mean, I don't know if you saw last, uh, about this time last year, actually, I can't believe it's been a year already. We had um, Nike had their plus size mannequins in store in their London flagship store um, because uh, I, I know that plus size women were behind pushing for that representation. Um, and it was a kind of, well, we had this one article release that was like vocally anti the mannequin. And it was actually really refreshing to see well, from my perspective, a vast majority of people saying, hang on a second, this is ridiculous. Mm. Of course, people of all shapes and sizes should be catered for when it comes to being able to find active wear. Um, but when you first started getting into fitness, you know, 
what were the were there barriers of like finding activewear? I know in your book you list you know how to find plus size friendly activewear and the, the right equipment and the right clothing and what have those barriers been like and do you see with people like Nike starting to kind of pay attention? I definitely see that there's changing times. Like I said, I started in 2007. And so I would say that the real shift here has probably happened in the last five years um, where, you know, I have a list, a resource list of 50 retailers that have plus size active wear that are really nice. They're not like, you know, the oversized cotton tents that everyone or the man's t-shirt or whatever. These are like nice designed um, active wear for, um, for plus size women. And so that aspect of it has really come a long way. I also see brands coming to the table where you're seeing more size inclusion in just general brands around fitness and health. Also just the opportunities that I've been able to have as a fitness professional, um, it took a very long time to get a book deal because mm. many of the publishers were like, fat people don't want to exercise. There's just not a market. That's literally what they were saying to me, 30 different publishers. And so for two years, I tried to get a book deal and then it happened. And then I, you know, the second book that I'm writing now, it just came to my inbox. It just landed in and they said, can you write this book? So those type of opportunities that were not there, they were off the table for um, plus size women uh, are much more, read, you know, being able to go as a speaker at conferences and talk about sizeism to Ad, ad professionals, you know, those opportunities are more steadfast where people are like, wait a minute, there is an audience here that we're greatly ignoring. And not only should we morally support this audience, but we're missing a massive financial opportunity if we don't. Yeah, I don't, I don't get it. I don't get why <laughs> it's just not, of course, like by reducing your size range, you're reducing the amount of people you can reach you're limiting your brand visibility and I think and you know I think some of that is kind of I think sadly it's you know the fat phobia I think it's people that you know thinking we don't want to I think in the past it's been snobbery of like we don't want to be associated with certain things I know the way fashion houses talk about um plus size clothing collections and you know they think thin is aspirational and all this crap to be honest um but, I mean, one of my favorite brands, I don't know if you're aware of it, is they're called Girlfriend Collective or Girlfriend. And they're, they do, like, the best size range. They are the most diverse on social media. They don't talk about it. They just do it. And the best thing is it's all environmentally friendly. So it's kind of like you've got this win-win-win. They're this huge, cool fashion brand. Everything's really cute and, you know, like, lovely colors and you know, cool designs. Um, and they're just doing it. And they're not making a song and dance about it. They're just showing different people in different bodies of like, it's not just different shapes and sizes, it's ages and abilities and all these things that we need representation for. Because like you said, I think we're, the, the fitness industry is only better off if more people want to participate in it. 100%. Um, but there's, there's a lack, you know, where I really see a lack in in opening up that door is it comes from the top in the education system of how personal trainers are educated. So <clears throat> we're not talking about health at every size. We're not talking about size inclusivity. We're not talking about body positivity. We're not talking about any of the things that are progressively driving a feminist um, movement right now in the education system for personal trainers. And yeah, I am totally with you on that one. It's a personal mission of mine to kind of change that in the UK. I have plans for this. Um, maybe we can collaborate, make it international. Um, because I think you're so right. It does start with the education. And I think there are still many personal trainers because I see these people I work with. I, I, I work in a studio with other freelance trainers and um, I get to hear the conversations and it's kind of like being a fly on the wall. Um, and it, I think it keeps, it, in some ways it's good for me because it keeps me aware of actually what's going on in the industry. 
And I think that absolutely it's a lot of personal trainers are still assuming that anyone above a certain size walking into the gym is there to lose weight. And if that's not one of their goals, they're lying or they're still, or I also think, I don't know if it's the same in Canada that you found that personal trainers measure their success with a train with a client based on whether they that client has had some sort of transformation or lost weight and they their body couldn't have you know with my clients i'm not bothered if their bodies change or not i'm interested in like you said making them run faster run further can they do a press up can they are they increasing their strength and stamina and their confidence and how they feel and i think those are the markers i'm looking at to gauge whether we're seeing improvement and progress and I think a lot of personal trainers in the fitness industry is still stuck in the mindset of success equals thinness and that is going to be a big narrative to unlearn we you know it's and you're right it totally starts with education and um like I said you know I had my own I was getting disillusioned with the industry anyway hadn't truly understood what haze was hadn't you know was aware of body positivity read your book and was like damn this is it <laughs> this is this is what it is and I think um you know hopefully both you and I um as trainers having books like this out there and hopefully your next book am I allowed to ask what your next book's about is that top secret or um I'm allowed to say what it's about but I'm not allowed to say what it's called um so basically it is going to be a very visual book and Ooh. it will have it's a book of 50 exercises with variations so we're going to have um older people disabled people pregnant people fat people all in the imagery so that it's really about representation and fitness for everyone. Oh, I can't wait. I cannot wait. And you have the Big Fit Girl app as well. So how has that been um, in, like, how have you found the response to that? And I also wanted to ask from a kind of a personal trainer perspective, because I do know that there are other trainers who tune into this podcast as well. Um, from a technical perspective, how you have catered for people in larger bodies and how you may adapt exercises or what you take into consideration um, when working with people who are plus size. Because I think a lot of personal trainers, me included um, in the past, have just kind of assumed that everyone moves the same, everyone does the same, and we don't take into consideration individuals' needs and that different bodies move differently and that they need to be catered for and feel welcomed. So can you share a bit of insight from your perspective as, as a trainer and having your app and things like that? So one of the things that I really noticed on the market was a lack of availability for fitness for people that can't stand up for lengths of time. So what, what scares me about that is that once they can't move or stand up, then they're, they're, they're grasping onto their mobility. And then because there's not much available, they start to slip into immobile. And so I was dealing with people that were saying, I want to do your workouts, but I can't stand for more than 10 minutes for whatever reason. Um, so one of the ways that we have adapted fitness in the app is there is a whole chair section and then there's a chair assisted section so that they can graduate from the chair to then maybe, you know, standing up and holding a chair. Um, for balance and stability and then they go into a beginner section and then they can go into a more advanced section So it's really taking from people that can't stand up all the way to higher intensity workouts um, Some of the differences for people that um, Have mobility issues or larger bodies is just spatial differences right so when we're saying okay we're going to do a forward fold and you know we're going to like stretch our hamstring by putting our heel out and bending over well if you have a lot of weight in the front that's just not going to work for you or you're really bending over with a lot of weight in the front now you're straining on the back so it's really about trying to find ways in which we can understand um, how that how the spatial differences work without, you know, calling someone out in the middle of the room, because, you know, 
when I talk about spatial differences, I say it with no attachment whatsoever, right? But for somebody that's new that's coming in, they'd be mortified that they, you know, that we're talking about their stomach or whatever, weight between the legs or whatever. Um, so the other thing that I do, I actually don't really teach people in person anymore. It's all online. But when I did teach fitness in person, really understanding the level of fear and intimidation that people experience. So for example, I ran outdoor boot camps for 10 years for plus size women. And I've had people tell me that they circled the block and they couldn't get out of their car. They saw us, they couldn't do it. I've had people say that they came, they started to have a panic attack, they had to leave. Like these are true stories. And um, a lot of people that I've worked with have something that I call fitness trauma. Mm. And it, it's, it's based around the consistent um, not being accepted or included or being made fun of. So this can date back to elementary school where people were bullied or they were pushed way too hard by a physical education coach when they just aren't that kid, you know, like the kid that's just not athletic. Um, they were forced to wear gym strips that didn't fit them. They were spilling out of them. They're, everyone was laughing at them. They were last in the morning mile every day and everyone would laugh. You know, those types of things have become very traumatizing to them. And so we can't, we have to not look at an individual's experience through our own gaze. We have to experience, we have to understand that they may be having a very, very terrifying traumatic experience, even just entering a gym. Yes, and I think that piece is missing for a lot of trainers because particularly if you're in a smaller body, you know, like myself, that carries a, a ton of privilege and we have not had those same experiences. And yeah, I think um, we need better education on that as trainers, I think to just to have a greater understanding of what that can feel like. Um, so I'm really glad you kind of spoke about that because yeah, like I said, I think, I think for personal trainers, I think, I think, you know, there's not many resources I've found for personal trainers who want to have these conversations and who want to make people feel more welcome in the gym, but can't properly understand what, you know, what the physical or mental barriers might be to participating and you know being there in your fitness utopia what do you envision for the kind of future of the fitness industry what do you feel passionately about that you want to see in terms of um enough representation what what's your vision what's what's your ultimate goal I think my ultimate goal is I'm really passionate about the representation in the media message. So I would love to work with brands to help cultivate a more inclusive visual landscape because it then opens up the invitation. So when people can't see themselves, there's the saying, you cannot be what you cannot see. Mm. And if you can't see yourself, you're likely going to approach something with a lot of fear because there's the fear of the unknown. Like I did when I joined the run clinic, was I able, was I going to be able to run? I don't know because I've never seen it done. Right. Yeah. So if we could, it, it's not just about, Oh, wouldn't it be nice to see size diversity? I don't think gyms and fitness professionals understand the high level impact that representation would do for not only the health of your country, but for the health of their business. Well, we have a campaign in the UK called This Girl Can. I'm not sure if you've seen it and it's awesome. And you know, their whole message is, and I got to work with them earlier this year, which was very exciting for me because I think they're doing this well. I think they are showing people of all ages and the particular campaign they did in January was about showing barriers to exercise, whether it was a new mum, it was um, whether you're having a period um, and you know, whether you're, um, I think we had like a, a, a mother and daughter in the particular campaign. You had an older mom and a daughter probably similar age to me, maybe in their 20s, 30s, getting their mum moving as well. So we had all ages and sizes and, and backgrounds seen. And um, 
I don't want to get this. I don't want to get this wrong. And I know I've written about it in my own book. It was over yeah. a million people. On Three the- million. I just didn't want to get it wrong. I didn't want to get it wrong. Three million people were um, got active after, um, particularly women. They kind of got more people moving, um, which is awesome. And I think it's only testament to what's achievable. And actually, at the event in January now, I mean, I can't believe that was in January. We did. A, I was on a panel, and we were discussing this with you know media and journalists and you know influential people. And I think it felt like the consensus in the room was that yes, we need to see more, to be more, and we need to have this representation. So there are steps being taken with that campaign, but it's like we need to get that on a commercial scale. Mm. You know, I think that's where I think that's where the gap is. It's a it's a case of we've got it in this because that this is a, I think this is a government funded campaign. And we need, we need that on a commercial scale. Um, I get so frustrated as well when the argument of, you know, when it came to this Nike mannequin situation, the kind of argument was like, well, you know, generally, well, we want, you know, if, if people are um, plus size, then they should be working out more, they should be doing X, Y, Z, but they're not allowed clothes to wear. They're not allowed these things. They're not allowed safe spaces. And I think... It just undermines the, the that kind of argument of like, you know, oh, you know, people should be doing things to look, you know, benefit their health and X, Y, Z and lose weight. And and yet you're gatekeeping fitness because I, I essentially think that's what it is. I think I think thin people are gatekeeping fitness for a ton of people that could really enjoy it and benefit from it and 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 find it. Um, so you originally spoke you originally kind of mentioned that when you got into fitness you started running and I'm really curious so my train happy ethos and the train happy podcast were all about intuitive fitness listening to your body and finding the workout that suits you and not necessarily doing what you think you should do because you know this is the best for results and results usually mean you know body manipulation in some sense but actually deciding what brings you the most joy and therefore you want to do it consistently so you kind of mentioned briefly before we started recording that you're not doing as much running anymore so I just wondered mm-hmm. um what kind of stuff you're enjoying at the moment and what um activities and exercise kind of bring you joy and make you feel good so <clears throat> before the pandemic started I had joined a yoga studio so I was doing a lot of hot yoga which is something that I haven't done in many many years and I was loving it I loved the meditative part of it mm-hmm. I loved in my body just needs the restoration and I'm actually working with a coach right now um, to train in Olympic lifting so awesome yeah, yeah awesome. so Um, I used to do endurance training all the time. So I was always running or cycling or swimming and, you know, you'd go to the pool and you'd be in there for, you know, two kilometers, just lap after lap. And I was just like, this is just, it's just boring to me now. And, and it probably won't always be, I will probably go back to triathlon at some point or, or running. Um, I love how running makes me feel afterwards. I don't necessarily love it while I'm doing it. Um, there was a time that I just loved it. That was the only exercise I ever did. I just ran. Um, but I feel like my, I feel like my interest in fitness really changes a lot. Like I'll, you know, be really into running for a few years and now then triathlon, but like this Olympic lifting, I love it. Like I'm, I'm just, I'm lifting a lot of weights and, um, I've got the whole squat rack set up at home and oh cool yeah um I think yeah I th- and I think that's really important because I sometimes think and I don't know if you ever felt like this maybe not so but I kind of put myself in a bit of a box when I first when I was getting into exercise and then being a personal trainer I was like I lift weights and I should lift weights because that's what everyone on social media is doing. And, you know, I've got this reputation as someone who lifts weights really regularly. And that's how I exercise. And giving myself permission to be like, yeah, I'm not so interested in that anymore. And like, I recently had swimming lessons and learning to swim properly. And I'm actually really missing the pool right now. Um, And letting myself do things like Pilates, something which I had, you know, in my diet culture brain had said, Pilates isn't a real workout because you're not sweating, you're not burning enough calories, like it's not the real thing. And actually, I 
love it. And all these things that I kind of dismissed as like not being the most effective. And I had a bit of snobbery about it. Um, I think it's really refreshing to hear someone just be like, yeah, I just lost interest. And I don't, just because I was a runner doesn't mean I always have to be a runner and I can change my mind and I can do different things. And I think that's a really refreshing approach because I think, I don't know we put ourselves in boxes sometimes and I think especially with social media the age of social media you kind of mm-hmm. like get pinned on being one thing and doing one type of fitness well when I think it's a lifelong relationship it's I I mean it's gonna for me anyway it's gonna ebb and flow with different things um I definitely I love swimming too but it's mm-hmm. not something I want to do four times a week like I was yeah where I'm in there and also just like it's exhausting I I thought I thought I was with you too like I thought things like hot yoga and swimming was just like light exercise and um, didn't really take it seriously but then I started swimming and I was like those are the nights you go to bed and you don't even remember going to bed you're so tired you're just like drool sleeping (laughs) like I'm so tired um it's very effective exercise yeah it is and for me swimming became has become has been a bit of meditative similarly as yoga has been for you that kind of ability to not be on my phone not have anyone talk to me not talk to anyone kind of have that bit of solitude and just have to work for me the thing is the breath I'm you know I was just getting on top of that and then we went into lockdown so hopefully I will remember all this stuff when we go back but getting that connection with the breath and feeling just connected to myself and my body is was really lovely I just really um I didn't have that before I think um yeah, and you find that in different ways, and yeah, it's been fun. How have you found um, Olympic lifting? What's it been like in terms of, have you found it empowering? Do you find that kind of, I think we talk about, when we talk about weights, we talk a lot about empowering movement. Have you found it to be empowering? Very empowering. I mean, I'm still building strength, so I'm not, I'm not, you know, slinging the weights over my head um, in the full Olympic lifts yet. Full, very often what I'm doing mostly is breaking them down into exercises that I can get really stronger at and then but I love the process I think that's what it is for me is you know with the triathlon there's a big process to that and I love going through that process and once I'd gone through it a bunch of times I'm like check it's done now I'm mm. going through this process I love it learning about it there's a lot to learn it's very challenging um so I I just really enjoy the challenge. And you, I don't know, I'm getting the vibe from the, doing the races and the triathlons, all these things, that you're quite a goal-orientated person, Yes. would you say? And goals really motivate you. And me personally, I'm not really a goal-motivated person. I really like just moving for moving's sake. And I think I just, at this point for me, fitness really just needs to be something where I'm just doing it and being rather than having to constantly look forward and put pressure on myself. That's, I may change my mind in the future. I'm very open-minded to changing my mind in the future, but I would really love your insight into, um, having fitness goals and yet, um, kind of like being kind to yourself through that process and not feeling always totally tied to those goals I think I get a lot of messages from people saying like particularly I talk about intuitive fitness so that whole thing is about tuning in with your body and listening to your body it's like what do I feel like I want to do today and I always say that fitness goals you can be intuitive and you can you know listen to your body and train for um for specific goals like a triathlon um but it's about having that uh, the ability to have um flexibility within your training and not feeling guilty and pressured um, and kind of relieving yourself of that. What's your experience been like with having, being goal-focused, um, but, yeah, giving yourself a bit of that freedom? So <clears throat> I think it was in 2018 I was training for a half Ironman and I hired a coach and – I don't think I've ever been so miserable in my life because I was training probably like 15 hours a week. I was never fast enough on what I was told I was supposed to be. 
there was a race date looming. I, it was an incredibly um, big goal for me that came with way too much pressure. And so I, I, I didn't make it, I didn't do it. And it got, it, it actually took the love out of triathlon for me. It, I've gone and done one sprint since then, but it actually kind of took it away from me. Um, so I don't think that, I think goals are, for me, I need to stay goal orientated. Otherwise I don't stay that accountable. And I think that comes down to personality type. So mm -hmm. if you are the type of person that needs that accountability, even if it is just intuitively, like I want to move my body three times a week. Um, well, I need to at least have that on the calendar and make time for it and, you know, have an accountability buddy. I've always had fitness partners that I train with, which I find very helpful, but it's very different when it's like, I'm running this half, I'm running this marathon and it's in four months and I better get running and you're doing it anyway. And, you know, it doesn't matter if you feel tired or, you know, like, and that's how I very much felt with the Ironman was like, you better suck it up and get up and do it because you only have four months. And if you're not faster, you're not going to meet the cutoff. And it was just like, I can't, I can't do this. This is soul sucking me. So I think you, some people need the structure of goals and I'm one of them, but there has to be a very fine line on um, what kind of pressure you're going to put on yourself. Um, what kind of, you know, big goal. So right now I'm training this Olympic um, lifting. I eventually do want to compete, but I have no competitions on the books right now. And I'm not going to put that pressure on myself right now because, you know, I'm just enjoying the process. Yeah. And I think, sorry, did I answer any question? I just feel like, no, I think you did. And I think that's, I think that's reassuring because I personally cannot speak to being of a goal orientated mind. That's just not how my how my mind works and I like I said I, I really appreciate that perspective because I think um I think the misconception is people like oh I you know goals I think people also think that goals are only for people who are like trying to lose weight or trying to diet and that having a goal might be you know is that does that mean that I'm um in that headspace and i really think it's about the intention behind the goal as well and it's really just evaluating like why do you want to you know do that triathlon like what do you want to do about it and if you get immense personal achievement from it and you enjoy the process and i don't know you're raising money for charity um mm -hmm. i don't know whatever get whatever driving you i think that's totally fine and really um if that's important to you then i think that's cool and i also like your point about the scheduling um, because similarly, um, I think there's a misconception that like you couldn't have anything scheduled in. And I think that, I think for in the context of insurance and fitness that it's like scheduling stuff's okay. Booking a class is okay. Um, I think it's also okay to be like, if you wake up, say you have like an awful night's sleep the night before and you wake up and you're just like, not today. Um, you're allowed to say not today and not feel guilty about it. And I think the main thing is removing that guilt and pressure that um, you kind of spoke about, um, which is really important. And so I want to kind of um, wrap up by asking you about um, a train happy moment. So this is a bit of a thing that I want to encourage people to really consider when they're practicing listening to their bodies, when they're practicing trusting themselves and, you know, enjoying fitness. Um, so an intuitive, um, a train happy moment can be anything as simple as, like I said, waking up feeling groggy and just thinking I've barely slept and exercise today is probably not the best thing. But it's also saying, do you know what? I've woken up with a ton of energy. I'm, I feel like I could do a really good 5k time today and I'm going to have a go and see what I can do. And those are both train happy moments because it's about listening to your body and responding to your energy. So I was curious if you had any standout train happy moments recently um, where you had listened to your body in training um, and what that had been like. Yeah, so I'm very, um, I'm 48 years old. So my, I'm really like, before I used to just be like, go, 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 go. Like, 
like, and I'd be like, I don't understand why I'm so tired. Like I would hear myself saying that all the time. And there were like a thousand reasons why I should be tired. Whereas now I'm like, I'm very conscious of the energy that I have, not just in fitness, but in people, in projects I work on. Like if I'm not feeling the energy, I don't, I don't have it anymore. So I'm not, I'm not, uh, I probably have more than most, <laughs> but I don't have it um, like I used to, or I don't force myself beyond that. So this isn't a big moment, but last week it was the third week, third workout of the week from my trainer. And I was feeling really tired. I had not only done the two previous workouts, but also I had been filming my own content. So, which for some reason I don't feel, I don't count as a workout, but it's like hours of filming. So when you're doing um, <laughs> side note, if anyone ever sees any, you know, when a trainer has filmed loads of videos or taken pictures of holding a press up or something like that, that's the worst. That is, it's so much more taxing on the body than you realize. <laughs> um, I completely appreciate it. Some of the most sore and tired I've been has been after doing a shoot of some description. Yeah. Um, so I, I was like, do I do this workout? Do I put it off another day? So I'm like, no, I'm going to at least do one set. And I, and I hope to do two sets. There's four sets. And as I'm doing it, like usual, my energy starts to escalate and I finish the whole thing. And I didn't feel like I was pushing myself because I, because I had already talked, like I already had the deal with myself that we're doing one set because I knew I had that energy and I might do two, but if I don't, I don't, it's not a big deal. And I think that's the thing is we're, we're so, because we've, we've tethered this relationship with fitness, with punitive measures mm -hmm. that somehow we're a loser or like all these terrible th things that we say about ourselves that like hurt my ears so badly now, but they used to be in my head all the time. Right. Like if I hear, I've had a client say, I, I look like a loser when I'm like, Oh, mm. like it, it feels so feels like an assault because it actually is. Yeah, I, it is. And also I find it interesting when, I don't know if you found this, but I also, and I don't know if it's a very British thing as well, of having um, people always apologize if they didn't perform an exercise, you know, perfectly. Bearing in mind they might have never done it before or those sorts of things. That kind of like, that, I, I've had that a lot where I've kind of said to people, like, there's no right or wrong in the situation. And I think that applies to your own training as well. Like, we're just having a go. Like, this is all just yeah. having a go, seeing what you can do. And like you said, if, you, if, if you're actually like, do you know what, I've got it in me today, go for it. And if you're like, do you know what, no, I'm, I'm, allowed, I'm allowed to, I give myself permission to step back from this if I feel like that's the right thing today. And I think um, that's really important on an individual level. And I also think that's important um, as a trainer to kind of set that tone um, whether it's with a class or with a client, because I think, you know, I, like I said, this, this gym I work at, um, it's interesting, even they do like mini fitness classes and, you know, there's one trainer who's particularly like very kind of almost boot camp, military boot camp, you know, you're not allowed to give up. You're not allowed to stop. You can do this. You can do that. You have to do this. And I think, um, that's a really common way of thinking in fitness. And I certainly felt like that myself when I first started teaching classes and working with people. Um, but this kind of evolution kind of makes you realize that like everyone's coming into the room with the whole different energy that they had outside the door. And I think let people move and let people need what they need to do and support that and encourage that and motivate that. But you can do that without making people feel guilty about, you know, having to take a little bit of an extra rest if they're not hundred percent on it. And I think that's, we need to have that balance of like allowing people to listen to their bodies and not constantly overriding just to please an instructor. I think that's mm -hmm. the problem. I think there's a lot of overriding, like, Oh, I'll just push through and then we get an injury or I'll just push yeah. through. And then you end up hating what you're doing because yeah. You just did it anyway. And I'm sure, you know, I think probably we can both relate to that in terms of when we were exercising for that, you know, that body control, 
you just did whatever you thought you should do and like you do all the burpees because you think that's what's going to do that's the best thing and actually you hate the burpees and yeah and now you don't have to do the burpees if you don't want to <laughs> yeah I don't like the burpees <laughs> um yeah I think I think that really where the deep work is is in the relationship that we have with our bodies and movement and separating that from old thinking around diet culture mm -hmm. and being more kind to ourselves not just in fitness but in overall life and i think that if we can kind of like be unapologetic because like you say that's not just a british thing that's very canadian where there's a lot of apologizing going on um <clears throat> that we do things unapologetically that, um, because who are, who are you trying to please? It's, it's you, it's for you. Mm. You get to decide, you're the boss of you. I actually, before we go, can I just, one of the things I took away from your book, and I remember that really stuck with me, and I actually wrote about it in my book, and mentioned you as well, was how you described when you were hiring trainers, when you were going to find people to work with you, you said that like I'm the boss of me and this is an interview and I'm hiring people for me you know you should it's not a case of like oh I should be lucky for anyone who wants to work with me it's like no I'm in charge in the situation this is about me and I really felt that I found that really powerful and I'd love you to kind of like expand on that because I don't think I gave that gave it justice but there's a particular section of your book where you talk about interviewing personal trainers and and finding the right person for you and I just love you to just chat on that for a sec so i think i think you're talking about if they're the client right mm. they're they're hiring the personal trainer mm. so what i have found when people approached me as a personal trainer is um they felt like they there was a hierarchy like that i'm i'm up here and they're down here because i obviously know way more and and um, you know, have got my stuff together and they don't. So, so what I talk about and like, I'm not saying that I'm just saying that I yeah, yeah. Help that from people is that when you hire somebody to come to your house and clean your gutters, there isn't this, um, sense of hierarchy. The reason that there's this sense of hierarchy between, um, especially, uh, a larger bodied person and a trainer is because the person that is in the larger body that feels like they're unfit and unhealthy that they that they're less valuable because mm -hmm. that's what our society is is saying us there isn't that tension between a gutter guy and a larger body person so um there's this tension that this person knows more and so what i've try to tell people to do in the book is kind of level it out that you are the CEO of your body. You're the CEO of your life. There is no hierarchy. You're hiring that person just like you would be hiring somebody to clean the gutters, somebody to paint your bedroom. Um, there, there should not be any hierarchy tone or tension, um, you know, self-esteem tension there it's just a matter of fact you're doing you're doing the hiring to get the best professional that works for you and there is a list of questions that i tell people that they should ask you have every right to interview a trainer to um, find out if they're going to work for you and before you do that you need to be very clear on what it is that you want from a trainer you have to understand. And so I've asked my clients that, what do you want out of your goals or um, out of this experience? And sometimes I just am met with a blank stare. And they're just not feeling good about who they are or what they, they don't know what they want. So then I ask them to do a process of elimination. What don't you want? Mm. what don't you want in your life anymore what how do you not want to feel anymore and often I met with I'm I'm tired of feeling sick and tired I'm tired of feeling unhappy I'm tired of feeling you know so we can really start to unearth what they do want and then start to create a interview from that I know that sounds like a bit of a process but I'm telling you like I like I was met with my coach Chris it was a life-changing experience so I urge people to really put the work into finding that right fitness professional because when you do, it's a game changer. Um, yeah, I'm so glad 
we touched on that because I think it's so, so true. Oh, Louise, this has been an absolute pleasure. I feel like you've given so much insight and I think people are going to take so much from this conversation. I can't wait for everyone to listen. Um, I'm going to show your book on screen. So for those watching, we have Louise Green, Big Fit Girl. I'll plug you, don't worry. <laughs> um, this is an awesome book and I think a, a brilliant resource. And like I said, I mean, I read, I, I'll be honest, I read this probably like two or three years ago and I've... I haven't read it since and I'm still, you know, in that interview today, I'm still remembering a lot of things I read because it really stuck with me. So um, I, I highly recommend everyone go check that out. And then where can everyone else find you, your work, your app? Um, I mean, I think a lot of what I'm doing is on Instagram. So my Instagram account is Louise Green underscore Big Fit Girl. And I also just launched a new website, bigfitgirl.com, which has information about the app and the membership that we run there. Awesome. And yeah, I hope we get to connect in real life eventually. Um, it would be, yeah, it would be really awesome to me. And I'm really grateful for your work. So thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you. And I'm grateful for your work as well. I think the UK needs you. <laughs> I think we just need to unite and just like I said go international and um it's exciting because I feel like you know this is getting a positive response this approach from not from trainers and from people listening I mean we have listeners so there we go <laughs> um so I think people um yeah I think the community is only going to keep growing and I think people are only going to keep demanding a new narrative in fitness and more representation so I agree. yeah so um yes if you did enjoy this episode please uh use the hashtag train happy podcast and tag at train happy podcast and we'll see you in the next one thank you so much goodbye Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.